Good morning, church, and happy snow day. As we begin this morning to dive into our scripture passage, I have to admit this sermon was a doozy to write. And let's just be honest with each other. The transfiguration is weird. Yet, the more I sat in the story, the more God started to reveal to me the truth of what this passage is about. And there are a lot of truths in this story. So the danger was I tried to cram 12 sermons into one. But rest at ease, I whittled it down to one, maybe two. So let's step into this narrative. Right before our passage, we see Jesus predicting his own death. And then the word tells us eight days after that, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him to the mountaintop to pray. Here's how I imagine the scene going down. Jesus is looking at his 12 disciples and says, hey, you guys, I'm going to pray. Anybody want to join? About eight of them say, yeah, I'll pray with you, Jesus. Then he says, well, I'm actually going to go up the mountain to pray. That weeds out about five more, and only Peter, James, and John are up for that journey. And the best part of it is they get to the top of the mountain, and we find that Jesus is praying, but the disciples have fallen asleep. If this is not the perfect picture of the church, I don't know what is. There are those initial moments where there are those initial disciples who don't even want to join Jesus in prayer to begin with. They can't be bothered. Then there's like the next level who are willing to pray to do the religious act, but they don't want to do anything uncomfortable that moves them out of their comfort zone. If Jesus is going to ask me to move, I'm not going. Then there are those faithful followers, <clears throat> the Peters, the James, the Johns of the world, the ones who will go up the mountain. They aren't perfect. They get up there and fall asleep, but they go. They follow Jesus wherever he is going. And then what happens? They wake up from their sleep and they see before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus seems to have been doused in bleach. The word tells us that the appearance of his face changed and his clothes were as bright as a flashing of lightning. Now, a modern day reader might be thinking to themselves, what was, what was Elijah and Moses doing there? This is a good question. For the Jewish people, Moses represented the law and Elijah the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the promised prophet. So the mere presence of Moses and Elijah represent the confirmation that Jesus is who he says he is. And what I wouldn't give to have heard how that conversation went down. Actually, three of the Gospels record the transfiguration, and it is only in the Gospel of Luke that we get the most information about what they were speaking about. He tells us they are talking about Jesus's departure. The Greek word here is exodus. Was Moses giving Jesus some firsthand experience of what an exodus is like? Was this some sort of celestial pep talk? You can do it, Jesus. We believe in you. But as I joke, it does puzzle me that here they are up on this mountaintop, chit-chatting about these future events. This transfiguration of Jesus in the middle of his ministry, why? 
the more I sat with it this week, the thought came to me, I think it's for Peter, James, and John. For as Moses and Elijah disappear, a cloud comes over them. Now a cloud represented for the Israelites, this was the holy presence of God when they were in the wilderness. And in this moment, with this cloud over them, Peter, James, and John hear the voice of God say, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. God was not naive to think about what uh, to God was not naive that the things that were about to go down were going to get very challenging for these disciples. Jesus would be taken into custody, beaten, and then ultimately murdered. The disciples would have seen a man who had the ability to raise people from the dead, heal the sick, and exercise demons seem powerless against the ruling officials. They needed this moment of transfiguration. They needed this for their faith. A moment where they could look back to and know Jesus really is God. For a person of faith, we all have these stories. Perhaps they are not as dramatic, but nevertheless, they anchor us to our belief, reminding us in circumstances that are dire and feel hopeless, that God is God and God is near. Ben and I lost two babies to miscarriage before we had our daughter, Mary. Our first miscarriage was awful. We had seen the heartbeat. I was just a few days shy of that magical second trimester mark. We had had a nightmare emergency room experience where the doctors and nurses seemed to ignore me as I painfully labored our first child. We left the hospital and the world seemed drained of all joy and hope. Outside of our immediate family and some close friends, no one else knew the loss that we had just experienced. This made me feel so isolated and I was broken. We decided to share the loss with our church family that I was pastoring at the time, especially since it would be so hard for me to step back into ministry after what had just happened. This led to an outpouring of love. People sent cards, wrote emails, and embraced us in our sorrow. Many shared their own experiences of losing a child and offered to us hope for the future, but care in the present. This is a moment of the transfigured Jesus. He didn't look like a bearded Middle Eastern Jewish man, but he looked like the familiar faces from my church. He was a 70-year-old woman who had lost her third child to miscarriage and met me in the struggle that somehow my body did something wrong. Jesus was transfigured into my 40-something OBGYN who held me and wept with me at the appointment to make sure that my body was healing appropriately. The same appointment that would have been the marker of my second trimester. Jesus was transfigured transfigured into comfort foods that people brought and bouquets of flower people dropped and bouquets of flower that pe flowers that people dropped off to add color to our gray days the transfiguration is weird but it is also deeply beautiful jesus being transfigured is an outward change it doesn't change the inwardness of god but 
the disciples were transformed. An inward change. They understood at a deeper level that Jesus was God. This God could appear to us in any way, shape, or form that God wanted to appear. I've been a Christian now for over 20 years, and I've had some significant losses in my life. Moments where I questioned if Jesus was God, if this way of life was really worth the living. In my times in ministry, I have seen the different variants of disciples, people who aren't even willing to pray. And then I've seen the ones who are willing to pray to do the religious acts, but they're not really willing to listen to Jesus, to go where he might be calling them to go. And then I've known the few that are willing to go up the mountain and leave behind whatever the world is offering and follow Jesus. These people are the ones who have these stories of a transfigured God. And these disciples have been transformed. They don't think like the world does. They don't see as the world does. They seem to have eyes that see Jesus in the most mundane, ordinary places. Even eyes to see him in the most dreadful and gut-wrenching places. These disciples discover Christ no matter where they are. A few weeks ago, we highlighted missionaries Dick and Millie who serve in Africa. Dick is a surgeon. And I remember thinking when we saw their video, what a different life they could have had if he had been a surgeon here in America. They could have been living the American dream. Yet these two represent for me the disciples who are willing to follow Jesus up the mountain. They embody for us as a church, Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Dick and Millie's minds were transformed by Christ. They know what success looks like. It has nothing to do with how much money is in your bank account or the prestige of your career. It is about listening to Jesus, the one that God instructs the disciples to listen to. This Jesus who tells us to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recover sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This Jesus who tells us we are called to be servants rather than to be served. And we take Jesus at his word. When we follow wherever he may be leading us, then we get to experience what it is to be in God's very presence. We are transformed so that we can then see the transfigured God. And we begin to see God showing up in the most unlikely places, in the mundane, and then even in the horrific. We discover God is just as present in the lowest points of life as God is in our mountaintop experiences. Let us all seek to move closer to Jesus. For some of us, that might be just a willingness to accept Jesus' offer to pray and to explore who this person Jesus is and what he's all about. For others, it has been that we have tasted and seen that God is good, 
but our words and our actions do not align. We need courage to sacrifice whatever is happening in the world around us and to believe that what God has for us is even better. And then there are those of us who have gone and we have followed Jesus up that mountain and we need another sign of God's presence. We need to see the transfigured Christ again to remind us God is near. Let us pray together as a church the words of Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, use me God, show me how to take who I am, who I want to be and what I can do. Use it for a purpose that is greater than myself. May we all have the boldness of Peter, James and John to follow Jesus up that mountain. And may we this day see the transfigured Christ who comes to us in the most unlikely places. Thanks be to God. <laughs>